Well, good morning. Happy Easter, everybody. Hey, just uh, look at somebody near you, wave at them and say, Happy Easter. Now, did you guys not hear, I guess Pastor Ronnie and I were the only one that got the memo that today is striped shirt day. Um, so, hey, listen, I call him usually in the mornings to say, dude, what are you wearing? Because I want to be like Ronnie McDougal, don't you? I mean, come on. Oh, guys, it's so good to see you. I want to thank you for being here at North Point Church. You are very, very welcome here. We are excited to get to worship with you, especially on Easter, especially on a day where our Kerman campus is officially launching, and uh, it is an exciting day. By the way, uh, not only is our Kerman campus launching, we've talked a lot about that, but last service at 9 a.m., we had 40 people in our Espanol service right on this campus, and... Uh, and, you know, we've actually not launched that. We're still in sort of soft launch, figuring it out. I mean, they even let me try a little bit. I said, hola, and they kicked me out. So, um, But, yeah, lots of exciting things happening around here. Want to make sure that you check out everything. You know, I was thinking as we were preparing for this Easter weekend that we live right now in a culture which special effects are very valuable. In fact, there is this movie uh, that has come out on Amazon called Church People, and this movie, Church People, is all about churches using special effects because we live in a culture where even in our movies, as you can see from the illustration here, they're all about what? Special effects. In fact, best I can tell, if you even go to a lot of the Broadway shows today, Broadway shows are all about special effects. I mean, everywhere. In fact, this is fascinating, you guys. I was reading a New York Times article about the New York Times bestsellers and how so many of the best-selling books now have to do with, you guessed it, special effects. And it's interesting in our culture, American culture, that I think that part of it is, is that we live in a culture where image is more important than substance. Image has become more important than substance. You know, I was reading an article by the actress Blake Lively. She was being interviewed, and she said something that just shocked me. She said, and I quote, 99.9% of celebrity images are photoshopped. Did you guys know that? 99.9%. We think, man, they look that good. Oh, no, they don't. They don't look that good. In fact, you take a look at them and you see, no, there's lots of befores and afters. I started looking into it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see the way. You know, they get rid of those wrinkles. So you think that these stars, you know, they don't have any wrinkles. There's no lines. No, I'm going to tell you something. They're like everybody else. You know, we all have the same parts that we had 20 years ago, but they all hang lower now. Have you noticed? <laughs> and that's true of everybody. And I started thinking, boy, this is a perfect example of image being more important than substance. And it just shocked me. So I'm studying this, and then I came across another article. And I'm going to be up front with you guys. This one really shocked me because I found out that not only do, does Hollywood do this, but I found out that you all do it too. <laughs> oh, yeah. You go to your smartphones, you get on your apps, and you do your little Photoshop stuff, and you make yourselves look so good. I mean, you don't want people on social media to see the real you. Let me just cover that up a little bit. And so I just started thinking, I started thinking, boy, who's somebody with integrity that will just, you know, even if they're a little ugly, let it, let it be out there for everybody, and it's okay. Just be the real you. And you know who I thought of? I thought of Pastor Ronnie. 
I mean, you just look at this guy. And I know he might be a little embarrassed about that, but that's okay. Because he's saying, but even Ronnie, you know, I thought he was a man of integrity, but even he, I saw his photoshopped picture. You guys want to see this? Take a look at this. This is unbelievable. <laughs> it was like, dude, even Ronnie, you know. Let's go back to Hollywood here for just a second. Now, see, as a result of this image-based culture, we do lots of things, you know, simply to be spectacular. Now, I want to say this to you very clearly as we talk about the resurrection today. This is not the way that God is. Because, you see, God has nothing to prove. God has no one he's trying to impress. So listen, when we talk about the resurrection, the resurrection is not some great magic trick. God is not some cosmic magician who wants to say, hey, look what I could do. In other words, the resurrection is not to be gaped at. So you have to start thinking when you read the Gospels, and you see the resurrection, since God would never do something just for show, what is the resurrection for? What is it supposed to do? What does it actually accomplish? Now, see, that's the question. Well, Jesus the Christ comes to us and says, in the resurrection, it's not just that I was resurrected, but he says, notice the scripture. Let's read it together. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Wow. I am. Not I just was. I am your life. I am your resurrection. Now, that's important. Because as a pastor, I talk to so many people who are scared, or I talk to people who are angry, or I talk to people who are sad. And do you know, underneath all the details, while I know that every problem is as unique as a snowflake, it seems to me that there is one theme that is going on under every problem. And if you'll indulge me for a minute, I'm going to say the one theme in everybody's problem is this. It's the desire for a resurrection. Or, or let me put it to you this way. It's the desire for newness. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, it goes something like this. People say things like, if I can only take back the last 10 years of my marriage. If I could only start over. If I can only go back and take away the things that I said to them. I wish that hadn't happened. Or if I could somehow clear away the rubble and just get a fresh start. Now, friends, do you know what that is? That is a thirst for newness. It is a thirst for resurrection. And we do it with superficial things. Some of you look in the mirror and you say, if I could only get my figure back. If I could only get my old face back. If I could only get my old hair back. It went away and it's not coming back. Some of you men, you get in the mirror in the mornings, you're working out at GB3, but you notice wives, they're still wrapping their towel around them up to their chest because they're so ashamed, and they say, if I can only get my abs back, if I could only go back. And so here you have Jesus the Christ, and he comes, and when he says, I am the resurrection, and I am the life, do you understand what he's saying? Jesus is looking at you and me, and he's saying, I can do that. You want freshness? You want a fresh start? Do you want 
newness or eternal newness, he says, I can do it. It's why 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul, he says, therefore, let's read it together. This is a great one. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, the old has passed away and the new has come. Now, I was having a conversation, and it's interesting, the other day, uh, we were talking about this concept, and I'm just going to say, this is really true, that if there is anybody here who rejects the gospel or doesn't like Christianity, or maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're outdoors, uh, wherever you are, but you're listening to me right now, and you think the gospel is for crazy people. (laughs) You think the gospel is for the birds. You say, I don't like Christianity. I'm just gonna say back to you, do you realize that you have one and only one grounds, fairly and reasonably, really to object to the gospel? I mean, if you're honest, if you really take the time to study it. See, here's what I'm gonna say. You can't say that the gospel is stifling because if you study it, you know that it's really not. You can't say that the gospel is silly if you study it, because you'd know if you were honest, no, it's really not silly. It's actually, it's beautiful, but it's serious too. And you definitely can't say that it's awful if you understand the gospel. No, if you study the gospel, I'm telling you, your only grounds of objection is you can say it's just too good to be true. Because the gospel promises everything I really want, it must be too good to be true. And I'm telling you, on that basis, I don't mind if anybody rejects the gospel because at least that's honest. Yet, Jesus comes to all sincere doubters today and he says, you understand, it's not just that I was resurrected. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. That's present tense. It means I was dead and now I live. And you know what Jesus does? Guys, Jesus looks at you and he says, my life can become your life because I'm alive. In fact, he puts it this way and it's beautiful. Look at this, watch this, let's read it. He says, the one who believes in me will, what a passage. Do you realize what this is saying? Guys, this is saying his arms are full of newness. In fact, I don't know why we celebrate gift-giving at Christmas. We should celebrate gift-giving at Easter because God comes and says, I have all these gifts to give you. You just remember, Ashton just read the story. Do you recall how many gifts were given? He said, receive this. This is for you. That's for you. Receive the Holy Spirit. All types of gifts of newness. So what I want to do today is I want to take a look at the gifts that come from a resurrected Christ. He's alive. And I want to look at all the things that if you would just open the treasure chest and see what he has, all that Jesus has coming to you. Does that sound good? And I'm going to say that even though there's a whole slew of gifts, there's really two categories. There's first faith, and then there's all the rest of the gifts that come out of your faith. But let's talk about that. Number one, write this down. What comes out of the resurrection? The first gift that comes out of the resurrection is the gift of faith. Now, I say that because this is what the main point of the whole passage is all about. Jesus comes to Mary. He comes to the disciples. Jesus comes to John, to Thomas. What's he doing? 
He's leading them to faith. The first and most important gift that the risen Lord could give to you is faith. Now, the reason that you can get it is only because Jesus is not a dead teacher. Jesus is not dead the way that Buddha is or the way Muhammad is or the way every other founder of every religion is. No, Jesus is alive. And as a result of that, he can come into your life and he can give you faith, which is the basis of everything else in your life. So he looks at Thomas and he says, Thomas, stop doubting. Believe. He comes to Mary and he says, Mary, believe. He comes to the disciples and he says, believe. And in every case, he's leading people to faith. Now, guys, oh, it is so critical that we get this. This is a truth that we have to let sink deeply into our hearts is this right here. Notice this scripture, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read it together. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through. This is not from yourselves. It is the not by works so that no one should boast. And you think about that. God says, I give you everything as a gift. I give you your faith as a gift because there's gonna be nobody that stands before me in heaven and says, well, God, it's because I did this. Or it's because I did that. And by the way, the reason Jesus Christ has to come and give everybody faith is because faith isn't something you can spin out of your own soul. Faith is not something you can spin and conjure in your own life like a spider weaves a web. It's not something that you can produce. Look, here's Mary. Look at her reaction when she gets to the empty tomb. You remember, right? Now think about this. I got, just let's do some Bible study together. Let's go back and remember the Gospels. What have Mary and the disciples experienced up to now? What have they lived through with Jesus as they've walked with him? First of all, you know that they've experienced innumerable miracles. You know, in fact, the Bible says that we only have a small cross-section of the miracles. We don't even know how many were done. One scholar says that if it's really true, considering the population of Palestine at the time, considering we only have a small little section of the miracles he actually did, it's a possibility that for those three years, death, sickness, disability, he had virtually eliminated from this people for a while. Now think about that. Jesus was massively doing innumerable miracles for people. Incredible things. <laughs> Guys, come on. Mary saw Jesus raise people from the dead. Not only that, but Mary heard Jesus' claim that he would rise from the dead. He made that claim so often. Jesus said, I would be buried for three days, and then I would what? In fact, listen to me. Jesus said it so publicly and so often that even his enemies knew about it. The whole country knew about it. Don't you remember? It's why they had to put a guard on the tomb. Because they thought, well, somebody might try and fulfill that and steal the body. That's what the skeptics thought. Everybody knew that Jesus claimed he was going to rise on the third day. Even the enemies. So you got to know Mary knew about it. Listen. She saw he had raised people from the dead. She knew he had done the miracles. She knew he claimed he was going to rise on the third day. He had never, ever, 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 ever said anything that you could doubt. <laughs> and yet, here's Mary. 
She's gone through all of that, and yet she gets to the tomb, she peeks in, and what was her reaction? What should her, her, her reaction been? She should have said, whoa! He did it! I can't believe it. He said he was going to do it and he did it. You'd think after everything that this would be her reaction. I doubted it in my heart. She should have said, I doubted it. I wasn't sure. But he did because he's not here. It must be. Instead, what's Mary doing? Mary's saying, oh man, everything is lost. Mary stood there outside the tomb crying. They took his body. Everything's falling apart. My life is over. Everything's in darkness. Now listen to me. Here's what I'm saying to you today. If Mary could not come up with faith, and if the disciples could not come up with faith under those conditions, what makes you think you can come up with faith? Don't you see that Paul is right in Romans chapter three when he says there is no one that's righteous? Not even one. There is no one who seeks God. So God says the only way you can have faith is if I impart it to you and give it to you. And I'm saying to you, if you're here today, and maybe you're here and you're a Christian, maybe you're here and you believe the gospel, I'm gonna say to you, you better understand that truth or you're gonna get into a lot of theological trouble. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, let me just walk you through it this way. How do you get faith from somebody who gives it to you? In other words, how do you receive the gift? Well, let's start with this idea. Number one, you have to go to the giver. You have to go to him. So write that down. How do you receive the gift? You go to the giver. You go to him for it. I could say, hey, I'm going to give you this pair of glasses, but you have to do what? You have to receive them, don't you? Now, it may seem obvious, but here's why I'm pointing this out. I have heard a lot of people say, they say you're saved by faith in Christ, but in their heads... They think, well, I can't go to Christ because I don't have enough faith yet. That's what they think. Or they say things like, my faith isn't pure enough, or I'm not strong enough, or I have too many doubts. Here's the problem. If you understand faith is a gift, that excuse has to be gone. Right? Gone. It has to be. Because it's not about you creating enough faith. Not if it's a gift. Now listen to me, Christian. If you're here and you are a believer, you need to know there is something very subtle and something very important that you have to understand, and that is you can literally turn your faith into a work. You can turn your faith into a work by saying, well, I can't be baptized because I just don't believe strong enough, or I don't feel it enough. Now, let me tell you what the gospel is so that we're clear. The gospel, which has transformed millions of people over, is this. Jesus, who is the Christ, or Savior of the world, died for our sins. He lived a perfect life on our behalf, and by receiving him as your Savior, God can receive you into his family and adopt you. And he adopts you into his family on the basis of what Christ did, not on the basis of what we do. Not on the basis of any of your good works. Or let me say it to you another way so it's clear. The determining factor in your relationship to God is not your past, it's Christ's past. It's not your record, it's Christ's record. Everybody follow me? Hello? 
That's the gospel. But it's very possible and it's very deceptive for you to say, that's right, I have faith, but my faith is so weak. My faith is so impure. I can't go to him. I don't feel worthy unless I can get myself to fill enough faith. I'm not worthy. Here's the problem. What you've done is you've turned your faith into works. And you're trying to earn your own salvation by waiting until you feel like you have enough faith. And I'm saying to you, you get stuck that way. And there's a whole lot of stuck people. People say, I can't get baptized. I just don't believe strong enough. No, no, no. Let me tell you what faith is like in the real world. Ready? Let me tell you about Shane's faith. Faith is, Lord, I know that I'm full of doubts. (laughs) Lord, I need your help even to believe I'm such an idiot. (laughs) That's faith. Faith is, Lord, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Faith is going to God with whatever you've said, and you've said, God, I bring it to you. And the minute you do that, guess what you've done? You've believed because you've gone to him. You go to him and you say, God, I need your forgiveness. You go to him and you say, God, I need your help. You go to him and you say, God, I'm helpless. You know, there's that old saying, God helps those who helps themselves. Do you guys remember that? It's a lie from the pit of hell. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless. God helps those who admit they're without anything. They are empty without him. Now, to do that, you have to swallow your pride. Can you go? If you believe you're saved because of the strength of your faith, you've actually a kind of works righteousness going on. And I'm gonna tell you, there are a lot of Christian religious people that actually are works-based people. They're actually denying the gospel while they're promoting the gospel. They don't even know it. No, I'm empty. And I'm gonna say this to you. You have no excuse. Don't you know we're all like Mary? And here's the thing, we act like Mary. Some of you come today and things are happening in your life right now that don't make any sense. There are little problems I know that many of you are going through. I don't mean to make light of them, but you're coming to those problems like little open tombs and it doesn't make any sense and you're running around crying saying, why has this happened? Where have they taken the body? Why isn't he working? While all the while what you should be saying is, man, he must be at work. He is working. He is doing things. He actually has everything under control. Now, Mary couldn't do it. You can't do it either unless you go to him. Oh, Lord, here are my doubts. Here are my fears. God, I come to you. Now, here's the second thing you got to do. Write this down. You have to go to him. Second, you have to look at his wounds. Write that down. Now, again, we're talking about how do you receive a gift? And it almost sounds counterintuitive because I'm saying you have to, but I'm talking about the disposition of a heart. You have to look at his wounds. Now you notice, here's why. You go back to this gospel we're looking at and he's constantly showing people his wounds. He shows Thomas his wounds. He shows the disciples his wounds. Why? Because you guys gotta get this. See, you understand, we're talking about faith today, aren't we? Faith is not about looking at your faith. Faith is about looking at him. Let me say that again, and I'll give you an example. Faith is not about looking at your faith. Faith is about looking at him. See, faith is like a windshield. 
What do you do with a windshield? You look through a windshield, you don't look at a windshield. What happens if you look at a windshield? You're gonna crash. What happens when you look through a windshield? Faith is meant to be the object that you look through to see what you're ultimately putting your faith in. And you gotta look at Jesus and you gotta look at his wounds. If you look at your faith, you crash, and some of you are. Faith is saying, my Lord and my God, I see that because of your wounds, I can be accepted. I see that your wounds are enough for me, and that's faith. Faith is saying, you go to him and you say, first of all, I know it only comes from you. I'm desperate without you. Secondly, I know it's only because of your sacrifice on the cross, your wounds, that I could be saved. It's nothing I can do. It's only what you've done. You look at his wounds. And then number three, write this down. How do you receive it? You gotta drop your conditions. You just gotta drop your conditions. Guys, here's why. Faith is not a psychological certainty. Faith is trust. Did you notice? Let's go back to the story. How Thomas had all those conditions. He says, if I can put my finger in the nail prints, if I can put my hand in his side, if I could, if, if I could, if, if, if. And then he says, then I'll believe. And then Jesus Christ shows up, and what does he say? He says, Thomas, your conditions, get rid of them. He says, stop doubting and believe. He says, look, you can put your finger here, see my hands, but what does it say Thomas did? Do you remember? Does it say Thomas did it? Did he actually touch him? Nope. It doesn't say that. It just says, at that moment, Thomas cried out to him. Let's read it together. Come on. My Lord and my God. In other words, in that moment, he dropped his conditions. Now, I'm saying to you today, listen to me, friend. Everybody in here has their if condition. You're just like Thomas. If, if, God, if you'll put that thing in my life that I really want, I'll believe in you. Amen and amen. God, if you'll take this thing out of my life, this pain, this hurt, this struggle, I'll believe in you. Some of you, here's your if. God, if you will explain why this thing happened to me. Or God, if you'll give me this. See, all these ifs, and I'm saying to you, that'll never work. You've got to drop your excuses. You go to him and you say, Lord, I'm helpless. Lord, I need your forgiveness. Lord, I need even faith because I don't have it. And you look at his wounds and you say, Jesus, your wounds are enough for me. I trust you. Nothing I can do. You know what it's like? You guys see this chair I have right here? How many of you believe that if I sat in this chair, it would hold me up? Raise your hand if you think it would. Come on. All right. Shall we test it? Now, I've got to answer the question too, don't I? I'm the one taking the risk here. You're a bunch of pansies. You're just watching me do this. But of course, I could tell you all day that I believe this chair is going to hold me up. But how do you know I believe it? Will you know I really believe it if I just stand here and say, oh, yes, I believe it. I believe in the chair. The chair will hold me up. Hallelujah. Is that what's going to convince you of my belief? Because some of you, that's a lot like what you do with Jesus. Oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus will hold me up. I believe he'll do it. You never trust him for anything. You sure talk a lot, but you don't trust him. What will prove to you that I believe this chair is going to hold me up? Okay, I will. Let's see. 
Well, look at that. It did. And some of you need to do exactly this with Jesus. Some of you need to stop talking a big game and you need to sit down and you need to trust him and you need to put your weight on him and you need to rely on him. And I'm gonna tell you guys what happens. I like preaching this way. Let's do this. Here we go. What happens when Jesus comes into your life? What happens when you put your trust in him like this and you become born again? Do you know what happens? That's where all the other gifts start to happen and it all comes out of faith. Let me tell you about the other gifts. Out of the resurrection comes not just faith, but comes intimacy. Write that down. Intimacy. You know the place where Mary grabs Jesus and uh, I'm, I'm reading it right now. Jesus says, do not cling to me, for I've not yet returned to the Father. Now, by the way, this is a big problem for Bible students because they wonder, well, why, why didn't Jesus want her to touch him? You know, is, what's he saying there? And they think, you know, it, are they saying if, 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 if she touches him, they'll get burned? You know, is it that they're going to get zapped? Is he some sort of phantasm and, and they'll go right through him? And I don't think that's it. Because you notice Jesus tells Thomas, you can touch me. Later in John's chapter, he tells all the disciples, they can touch him if they want to. You see that in the story. What's wrong with hugging him? What do you think? See, I think what Jesus is ultimately saying to Mary is, Jesus is saying, Mary, the way you've been hugging me, the way you've been clinging to me, don't you realize that I'm going to my father and now the way we relate is going to be different? That intimacy doesn't mean any more physical proximity. Don't you realize that when I'm raised to the right hand of my father, any believer without having to be physically near me can have absolute intimacy with me because I will put my spirit within them. And I will be in them and they will be in me. Out of the resurrection comes intimacy. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you intimate with Jesus? Or if I could just say it another way, a simpler way, do you know Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you know about him. I can say all day long, I know about that chair, good chair, sturdy chair. Do you know him? Are you with him? There's a difference. I mean, Jesus even looked at Philip and he said, Philip, don't you know me? I mean, Philip, we have been together so long. Why? Because you can go to all sorts of religious activities. You can do all sorts of things and not yet know God. But if you know him, there will be an intimacy. Do you find a sense of love working in your heart, a sense of affection, thoughts about his wisdom, a love for his goodness? Because see, when you're, when you have intimacy with the Lord, you find that comforting. It fills you up. Do you have that? Some of you, you're here today, and you say, you know, Pastor, I used to have that. I know some of you are thinking that. I say you used to know him and love him, and you say, I remember feeling that. Oh, how I'm thirsty for that again. You say, I haven't felt that in so long, and I don't know why that is. And who knows why? Why aren't you resting in him anymore? For some people, it's laziness. For some people, they just refuse to trust anything but their own effort, and they're scrambling through life. Busy, 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 trying to satisfy themselves. For other people, it's because the truth is, is that 
you know, the chair that they're sitting in is not Jesus. The chair they're sitting in is something else. And they've made something else God. There's some sin that you've fallen in love with more than Jesus. There's some person that you've fallen in love with more than Jesus. At its root, all sin is an idolatry. It's a way of saying I'm putting my faith in something else. And I don't know why. But could it be that this Easter, you need to resolve that and you need to say, Jesus, it's you. It's always been you. And give yourself to him. You have to go to him. You have to look at his wounds and say, his wounds are enough for me. You have to drop your conditions. Then the intimacy comes. Then let me give you the next thing that'll come. You ready? Here's how it works. What comes next out of the resurrection is a little gift that I like to call purpose. Write that down. Out of the resurrection comes purpose for your life. Why? Because you notice where, where Jesus says, it says, after this, he says, as the Father had sent me, I am sending you. What happens is as soon as you meet the risen Lord, you get busy. In fact, one of the best ways that I can tell whether or not you've really met the risen Lord whether or not you know him intellectually or you really know him is, have you found in your heart a desire to go? Why? Listen to me. Whenever people meet Jesus face to face, it's amazing how fast he says, now go. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. That's what he'll speak into your heart. Can I ask you a question? It's going to be a question that might bother some of you. Get your pens out and get your cards out. Get ready to send me a nasty one. Ready? Everybody ready? You're here in church, and I'm just going to ask you. Be honest with yourself. Are you just a consumer? You just come to church and consume. That's your life. And then you go about and do everything you want to during the week. You live your life. But then you come back to church and consume. Now, I'm just going to say to you, I don't mind if you're here and you're a consumer. I'd rather you be here. At least you're a consumer. You keep consuming. But when God actually comes into your life and you actually trust him and develop intimacy with him, it's amazing how fast he begins to say to you, go. I've got work for you to do. I've got purpose for you. By the way, we've got, you'll notice in your, uh, in, in your brochure here, we've got a thing coming up called Come and See, and that's what it's all about, by the way. It's all about go. But you know, the problem is, is that some of you, you are so busy with your lives. God has eternal purposes for you, but you are so busy with lesser things. You are so busy, you know, just all these many things. You're so busy, you're busy. God can't call you because you're too busy thinking about everything else. Do you guys know how they tame a lion? Anybody ever see a lion tamer? They've got a whip and they've got a stool, not usually a chair like this, but a stool. It's got four legs though like this and the lion tamer's holding up the thing and they're cracking the whip and the lion is off in one corner and you think, why is a 350 pound lion not crunching on that 125 pound little man right there? Because it could. What's going on there? Lions are meat eaters. What holds it back? Well, anybody who knows about lion taming, you'll know that the way you tame a lion is, is that first of all, you never hold the stool with the stool facing the lion, because if you face the stool toward the lion, it could focus on just the stool head. So you always turn it around, and you've got four things pointing at the lion, and you move it a little bit, and then you crack the whip, crack the whip, you know, 
and you're moving this, and what happens is that giant lion that can eat you, it looks at those four little legs, and it hears your whip, and it's going. It's hungry. It want, and, and, you know, it thinks for a minute, I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him. Oh, no, over there, you know. And it just looks around. and See, here's the problem with some of you. The devil's got you so busy, and you're just looking around. And God has a purpose for your life, but he's got you so distracted with so many things. You're just like, oh, I, I want to go. I want to be used by God. I don't know where to start. Oh, what do I do? God says, if you would just focus, he said, if you would just seek first the kingdom, don't you, he says, I'd take care of everything else. Purpose. Fourth, out of the resurrection comes power. Comes power. That is Jesus, the risen Lord, immediately comes and he says, receive the Holy Spirit And Jesus gives us his spirit, and the spirit is that resurrection power that changes us. Guys, what do you think baptism is all about? I pray you get baptized today. Some of you need to do it. But what is this about? I'm buried with him in baptism. I'm being resurrected into a new life. What are they saying when they're going under the water? They're saying, Jesus, your wounds are enough. Your death and burial are enough, and I'm going to sit down and trust and rest in you. But God, you've raised me to go and live a new life, so I'm going to do it. Don't you see? And by the way, you say, I don't have enough faith for that. Well, faith's a gift. You don't have to work for that. You should come to him and say, Lord, I don't believe, but help my unbelief. And then just say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. What are you coming here for if not life change? Are you here for a little inspiration? Because if you are, I'm going to say there's an Oprah channel that is really good. But hopefully, no, you're, you're saying, no, I want Jesus to change my life. You know, we've been talking a lot about Kerman this last year because God's doing a revival work there. I believe that. And um, there was this story about some folks who, they were invited to church just to come and start meeting in a shop, watching North Point services on television right in the middle of COVID. And instead of a family shrinking back, they said, you know what we're going to do? We have to do it outdoors, but we're going to open up our barn. We're going to invite them. And, and it was the coolest thing. And you see a picture here of the family. That's Josh and Kaylee and their kids. And they started coming to the shop in Kerman. And I, I just want to share with you what happened. But listen to what, sh- what they say. They're going to share their story. Just watch this. I think in order to understand how we got to have faith and have a life with Jesus in our life as center point, you would kind of have to understand how we got there and even with life without him, right? And so we understand the difference of the two. I know exactly what it feels like to have anxiety attacks throughout the day. And I just knew I had a lot of sorting through a lot of deep emotions, a lot of depression. I knew that there was something that needed to happen within my life for a big change. So I attempted the whole do the podcasts and self-help. I have so many self-help books. We went to a friend's house on a random Sunday because she invited us to come just watch church live together. You know, Kaylee and I really didn't go to church at all except for, you know, a couple times a year. But, um, you know, by Kara sending Kaylee that text message in the very beginning, it was like that, it was like that thing we needed to like, let's, let's jump in. 
which was intense because I remember the morning of going to church, I cried all the way there. I had so much anxiety, but it was like God was just pushing. And then I've told Kara so many times, like, you have no idea the feeling I had. It was so intense. I couldn't. I couldn't not go. It was like the most intense pull and tug. I was holding myself back, but there was nothing that would have stopped me from going and bringing my family. And even when they were like putting on YouTube videos, um, the worship music that they were listening to, it was just the most foreign songs. I'd never heard them before. They knew the words intimately. They were crying. Kara was crying. Everyone's hands were up. And I was just like confused. Like, this is what they feel? How do I get to that place? How do I, how do I grow to become that woman? Not out of jealousy, but out of admiration for what they had, I knew in my heart I wanted. I needed God in my life, and I didn't have him. You, you feel moved that you know there, there's a change happening inside you, and it's, it, it's God telling you, hey, come, come to me, I can help you if you listen and follow. And you know, listen, listening to the messages every week where you know, they, it, it's, it was almost like they were, they were talking to me. You know, if it was Steve or if it was Shane or, you know, someone else. But it was, it was almost like they were, they were talking to me and you need, it was like, Josh, you need to continue down this path. And when I, when I did that, we jumped all in, we got baptized. I can't explain the feeling. And now I understand when you are just a person, you're not trying to be a sinner, but we're all sinners. And when you don't have God in your life and you don't have Jesus walking with you and you're not following God's steps and you're just living life, you're just doing your life and making mistakes along the way and doing your thing. That old me is not me. And Shane's talked about that a little bit where, you know, it's a change from within, but that change from within, it, it just kind of blossoms outwards mm -hmm. and it changes you for the, for the better. I am not here by chance. I am here for purpose. I have a life to give others and I am open to God's plan and he has it all planned out and I just need to follow and be a good, good sheep because he is our shepherd. Isn't that a great story? And you caught at the very beginning. Now, what happened there? What caused the life change in this family? It's because there was another woman and her husband that just said, even in the middle of the pandemic, we're gonna sit in a barn and just invite friends over. And what did they invite him over? They called him up and sent him a text and said, come and see. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. But that's what this whole thing is gonna be about, by the way. It's about how we can all do that together like never before. Come and see and reach the world for Jesus Christ. I encourage you guys to, to, to grab onto that. In fact, I'm gonna invite you to, if you'd love to come next Sunday night, I'm gonna do a dessert where I'd love for you to be here and I wanna tell you more about that outside of the services, more about how we're gonna do that together. In the coffee cup is a QR code, so just scan it right there on this little brochure. But let me give you the fifth thing and we'll be done. Out of the resurrection comes the final gift. You know what that gift is? It's peace. 
What's the first word that Jesus says to his disciples, you notice? He says, he, he appears to his disciples and he says, peace be with you. Now, what's so peaceful about knowing the risen Lord? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's because the moment you know the risen Lord, you've beaten death. Hebrews 2 says that in a lifelong bondage to the fear of death, human beings are scrambling. Do you know what a midlife crisis is? Anybody ever have one of those? You're not going to admit it, are you? A midlife crisis is where you finally realize, oh my goodness, I'm going to die someday. And so then you start doing lots of crazy things and making crazy changes to try and convince yourself that you're still relevant. (laughs) That's what a midlife crisis is. Listen, Jesus Christ comes to you and he says, peace. Because a Christian knows that because of the resurrection, the worst thing that could possibly happen to you, death, is actually the best thing. Friends, I'm just going to ask you in closing, what is the worst thing that could happen to you? Come on. What's the worst thing? Think about it. Is the worst thing that you'll get sick? Is that the worst thing? Is the worst thing that you'll lose your job? No. Is the worst thing that that person is going to break up with you? No. That you're lonely? No. The worst thing that could happen to you is that you'll die, and yet that's the best thing that could happen to you. Because death is a dark door into light because of the resurrection. Do you know that? The resurrection tells us in the Bible that Jesus was raised to the right hand of the Father where he is in charge of history. History is his story. It's his. He writes it. He is managing all things for us. My dad passed away two weeks ago. You know, I'm sorry that he passed too because I'm going to miss him, but he's not sorry. He's with Jesus. My dad used to like to run foot races, and he beat me when I was little. Boy, he could beat me now. He no longer has dementia. My dad's happy. See, because of the resurrection. You know, I'll never forget the story in Genesis 37 as we close where Joseph's brothers saw Joseph. Joseph was, you know, they were going to take him prisoner and they did and they beat him up and they threw him in a pit. They, they wanted to sell him into slavery and Joseph prayed to God, oh Lord, don't let them sell me into slavery. Don't let them ruin my life. He was so scared. So he said, God, don't let this happen to me. And you know what God did? Nothing. Joseph was sold into slavery. He was taken off. the, The next years were unbelievably crazy, but through the oddest circumstances of God writing the story, he became a great ruler. And years later, when they saw the brothers that sold him into slavery, look at what he says. He says, you meant evil against me, but God, God meant it for good in order to bring it about to save many people because he's in charge of history. A Christian is somebody who says, it doesn't matter what comes into my life. It doesn't matter what cross. It doesn't matter what grave. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can know that this thing is redemptive. You don't have to be like Mary running around saying, it's all over. It's all over. Oh, where have they taken the body? No, what you should be saying, oh, look, he's working. Come on, crosses. 
the Christian can say, come on, graves. The lower you lay me, the higher he'll raise me. The first time Jesus calls his disciples brothers, you remember this final thing I'll point out in the story. He looks at him and he says, go instead to my brothers. He tells Mary, go to my brothers. My question is, why does he call them brothers? You know what Jesus should have said? You remember the story, right? He should have said, go and tell those miserable deserters that I want to see them right now. Because they all abandoned him. Of course, if Jesus would have said, go and tell those miserable deserters, you know, they would have come. They would have come because they knew they were deserters. But Jesus, because of his death, because of his sacrifice, because of his resurrection, he now calls them brothers. Here's my question to you. Are you brothers to the risen Lord? You say, how do I know I'm a brother? Well, a brother knows they're a deserter. You can't be a brother if you don't know you're a deserter. But if you can admit you're a deserter and that you need a savior, you can be a brother. Do you want that? That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every person here that they would know you and walk with you. Lord, the revelation of who you are is something that I can't articulate or make real to anyone. We speak words, but you give words power to change lives. You even said it's through the foolishness of preaching, that preaching in and of itself is really quite foolish. But somehow you chose the foolishness of it to to change us. Father, we depend on you, and right now I pray for every person in Jesus' name that their minds would be opened and heart would be softened, and they would receive you as Lord and Savior. Would you pray this prayer with me? If you know you're a deserter, but you want to be a brother, you just pray this with your heart. It's not magical. It's not a magic prayer. It's not the words you use. It's the heart with which you use it. Just pray this prayer with me, though. In your heart or out loud, you just say, Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a deserter, but I want to be a brother. I want to put my full trust in you put the weight of my life on you. Help me to do that. I'm full of doubt. Help my unbelief. And in that, I believe. Jesus, I praise you and I thank you in your precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen.